Uh, welcome to Crossroads, everybody. My name is Dan Mike, and I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. On this beautiful June morning. Is anybody's birthday this month? Raise your hand. Hey, come on, guys. Let's hear it. You made it for another trip around the sun. Congratulations. When I was, uh, I, I probably haven't had this thought in 20 years, but when I was a kid, my dad used to read the names of anyone who um, had a birthday that month. And I promise you, I, when it was my, July is my month. When it was July, I, was, I felt like a million bucks just to hear what my name. <laughs> so dumb. But it's just a little way. So anyways, we're just doing showing of hands today. So I see that hand. I'd like to just sort of take a few moments here at the beginning and just talk about the summer. Um, not really related to our study this morning, but just in general, the summer and what we're going to be doing. I know that there's diehard crossroads. We like to study through a book of the Bible, verse by verse types here. And uh, anytime we do anything that's a little more topical, I always hear it. You guys are changing, you know, you get, <laughs> you're letting go of your first love. No, that's not true. Okay, it's just, it's, there's a time for everything, right? This is, this is biblical. There's a time to build and a time, yeah. And so, uh, so I just want to invite you into just a, a time this summer of evaluating and thinking about yourself as a disciple of Jesus. We've been talking a lot about it this year. Um, what does it mean to be a disciple? And what does it mean to view yourself as a disciple or, or through the, the lens of discipleship? It's like the last thing that Jesus said to everybody before he left was go and make disciples. Like this is a good thing for us to, to think about and think through in, in terms of am I a disciple? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Am I becoming like my rabbi? So there's these things called the spiritual disciplines and what we're just sort of framing that in is, is the discipleship practices. That's what we're calling them and um, we're gonna be looking through some of these practices each week this summer. And like anything with Jesus, these are all just opportunities for you to be, to, 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 he welcomes us into them. He invites you in to try and explore this and, and they're all consistent with who he is. They're all consistent with the kingdom of heaven and so you have just the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart and in your life and to think, um, is this something that you're calling me to? Is this something that I can grow in? And as we're just passionate about reflecting who God is, each of these things does that very thing. The month of June is going to be a little more internal. The month of July is going to be a little more external. And then the month of August, we're going to look at corporate practices uh, just for a little bit of a framework there. But the expectation really is by the end of the summer that you will master all of these practices and be like a Jedi level <laughs> disciple of Jesus. And so that's just, just want to put that out there now. You can still leave, but that, you know. <laughs> now, I like to say, like, you know, the, the phrase practice makes perfect. I think that in this situation, practice is perfect. I think it's actually intentionally entering into this. Um, is the goal to become more and more like in the game when it comes to how we're reflecting what we believe about who Jesus is and uh, what we believe about the kingdom of heaven. And so maybe this isn't for everybody or, or maybe you feel like you've already got a handle on all of these things, but I know for me, there's been a, there, 
just to take you back a few years, okay? So I was thinking about this this week. It was like 2006, in the winter months of 2006, I just turned 18. And so I decided the best thing for me to do would be to move away, okay? So just drive in any, you know, just get out of that town, go to the nearest town. The only town that I had ever really heard of was Detroit. So I'm, I'm just gonna go that way. And you know the way the world, uh, the country was back in 06, 07. It was a dark time. But I'm going to figure this out. And I have no fear and no plan and no idea what I want to be or do with my life. Things that you probably should be thinking about were just not on the radar for me. Maybe that's like the title of my biography. The... Um, <laughs> The thing that I was concerned with, I remember this, I had some dark moments because there was a deep just feeling inside of me that of emptiness. I was raised in a church building, right? Like as far as even the church community, I have Christian parents and went to a Christian school and youth groups several times a week and all the things that you would think would be helpful to all of the things that I needed to to have a real relationship with God, but there was this moment where I was just, the, the only thing I can frame it as is just spiritually bankrupt. Like that bank account was reading zero. I was writing checks I couldn't even cash. Like this was, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but what do you do when you feel just like empty and bankrupt and like it's not there? In that time and in that moment, I learned a lesson in life, which was, there comes a point in everybody's life where you have to get in the game. There comes a point in everyone's life where it's, it, it's great to have like godly parents. It's great to have a spouse that prays. It's great to have siblings that are great influences on you and maybe even a halfway decent preacher in your life. But there, all of those things are not going to add up to you having spiritual depth, you having a relationship with Jesus. That's on you. And I know what town I'm in right now, okay? So I know as soon as I start talking like this, there's some twitchiness that happens, okay? So I just want to confront that and say, I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. But I am echoing the heart of the brother of Christ, James, when he says, show me faith without works and I'll show you faith that's dead. And that deadness that was inside of me, I was desperate to find some life in my relationship with Jesus. That's what the spiritual dis, uh, dis, disciplines or discipleship practices will start to address and confront. That's where we'll start to actually have, uh, in that place, if you're there right now, I've been praying for you, and I have a heart to see, to see people who are feeling spiritually dead just come back to life. I wanna see breakthrough. Um, in, in anyone who would be willing to enter into this stuff this summer. And so with that, I'd like to um, just take a moment and pray about the summer. And this is kind of going to be a dangerous prayer for some of us because you maybe already had your summer planned and you maybe already had your novels picked out and like everything. But um, I think it's good at a season change to just sort of pause and say... God, what would you have for me this summer? In a world that's just giving itself permission to check out for the next three or four months and just, you know, 
go on autopilot, I just want to invite you to check in. And so if you're willing to pray a prayer of surrender, then open your hands with me and just pray. All that we have, our time, our location, our resources, our lives are from you, God. And we give it back. so tempted to hold on to everything and say, this is my time, my life, my stuff. And here in this moment, we just say, God, we give it to you. It is yours. What would you have for us this summer as a community? Are any of us just stuck and, and it's been a while since we felt like we resembled you? We receive your truth, that we're made in your image and your likeness, and we desire strongly to represent you in this world. We receive your commission to, to make us a kingdom of priests and help us to do right by that responsibility as your ambassadors in Grand Rapids and wherever we may be this summer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Make no mistake, you will be formed by something in we are all disciples of something. We are all being shaped and formed and influenced by certain things. The only question is, are you going to let it happen to you or are you going to be intentional about what shape you're becoming, who you're becoming to look like? So with that being said, we turn to Jesus and as his disciples, today we're going to ask him about prayer. Step one in a summer on spiritual formation is prayer. So please stand with me for the reading of God's word in Luke chapter 11. One day, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. The very words of God. Whether it be this or found in Matthew chapter 6, this is one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. And there are a lot of prayers in the Bible, and there's a lot that could be said about prayer. And uh, so, you know, I, it, it, you can imagine my week this week, every time I put a pen to paper, I just... Drop the how do you where do you start? So where I'd like to just sort of frame this is in if I had to do like a, a refresh on prayer, what is the what is the most foundational thoughts that I could have on prayer? Prayer 101 or, or just a reevaluation of prayer in my life. Um, because and so I, that's why I feel like I, I, I've been led to uh, Luke 11 because. I felt like I was asking Jesus this question. 
that the disciples are asking him all week, teach me how to pray. There always is something that's teaching us how to pray. And have you ever stopped to ask the question, who or what taught me how to pray? What's my motivation behind prayer? Is it Jesus and is it resembling uh, what his advice was when, when he was asked to teach, him how to teach his disciples how to pray? Would you be willing to uh, let that question linger in your hearts this week as like homework? Like, Jesus, is there anything about prayer that I may be missing here or that you know, I have been taught by somebody other than you that you'd like to address? Teach us how to pray. A lot of dissonance in our world about prayer. And so, you know, it's one thing that I think is really important to bring up. I mean, there's a lot of different feelings and, and emotions about prayer, rejections of it. And it is really this sacred task of humanity to pray. Think about it. Everybody prays. Like, it's not even just a Christian thing. I mean, all the religions have prayer. Even people who are not religious but spiritual, even people who don't believe in God, there's still prayer that happens out of the groans of their hearts and soul. Like, what is prayer? And can you do it in a way that heads up to long-term dysfunction in your life? That's the red flag type of stuff that I like to just sort of look at. Like, is there a way that I can pray that will lead to a big dysfunction in my life when it comes to my relationship with God? And when I ask that question, something that immediately comes to mind is like the dissonance that we get when we, when we have our step one in prayer as what? When Jesus was asked, teach us how to pray, step one in prayer was not a what, it was a who. When we have what as our, as our immediate reality for prayer, what ends up happening is the who that we're praying to resembles a lot more like Santa than uh, actual, like the almighty God. I mean, and what ends up happening, I mean, this isn't like a joke, like this turns into something that can be really devastating for our relationship with God. As devastating as it would be with any relationship that you have, when it's just a one-way, needy list of things. Like, have you ever been ghosted by anybody on text or whatever? Like, you're just, you're sending messages to somebody, they're not responding. There's a lot of people in our world that feel this way. Like, I've been just sending these messages to God, speaking out into the void somewhere, trying to get, and it's just not, nothing is coming in return. Think of the other person in that relationship. If you did think, like, I'm, I'm trying to go for an intimate relationship here, but all I ever do is just say things at someone. <laughs> so what ends up happening is we have these big desires. I mean, we hear stories where people pray and, like, for healing, and it happens. Uh, we have a story where people pray for something and it happens and, and it's a miraculous event or it's something like really encouraging and, and all of a sudden we're like, that's awesome. This is prayer. This is how it works. But then we have just as many stories where you pray and you hear people pray, we're calling for, and it doesn't happen. I've been praying for somebody for the last three or four months to be healed. And I just found out yesterday that she passed away. What do you do in this moment with that reality? This is where that matters. The temptation is to start to hear voices like, well, if God could do something about it, why does he need me to ask him to do it? Why doesn't he just do it? 
if he has like the power to do something and he didn't do it, like, and he knew that it mattered to me, what does that mean about how he thinks about me? All right, so this is where that stuff starts to live. And if that's in a foundational place with your relationship with God, this is where people start to deconstruct into a, I don't, then I don't even believe in this God anymore. I don't even think that he loves me. I don't think he's good. Is step number one in foundational place number one, what? Or is it a who? If you're in that place that I was referring to earlier, like spiritual bankruptcy, this is a very sketchy place to um, cultivate. Because this is kind of, I feel like, on the more shallow side of a relationship with somebody, just talking about what you want, just demanding things. And let me tell you this, our world does not need any help with being shallow. We have an expert world right now in, like, facade, like, Everything that we do or have can be uh, only an inch deep. You know, with wealth, there's so many of us that just, we look a certain way, we have the things that make us look like we're set and good, but then like, we look like beautiful swans, just peaceful and elegant on the outside, but kicking unbelievable underneath, leveraged, in debt, uh, unbelievable amounts of, of fear and worry. With vanity and our health, there's so many, it's so tempting to just look a certain way on the outside, but neglect uh, the things on the inside or the things that actually add up to a sustainable, healthy being. Families and pictures that we all, we all know how to smile, we all know how to do, you know, internet filters of like what we all want everyone to think we look like, you know, but we all know that after that picture was taken, your kid poked the other one in the eye and you're punching each other or whatever, you're like, the world is desperate for, for something right now that's deep. Ever since New Year's this year, that's been a word that I've been praying about and thinking through. So my word for the year is depth. How do you how do you foster and cultivate a deep relationship with somebody, with someone? The second that you start to make that shift with the nuance of I am no longer going to settle for a what, but, I'm gonna, but I am going to seek out a who, that's when your relationship will start to become deep again. That's where depth begins. I know that this, this is what's on the table for all of us. It's what the disciples saw in Jesus himself. All right, this is going to be kind of a, a, an interesting nuance here. What do we see in, in Luke, just in general descriptions about Jesus when it comes to prayer? In chapter 3, he was being baptized, and he started to pray. And what happened? A voice from heaven came. A who showed up. A, he- a heavenly voice said, this is my son whom I love. In chapter 4, we see Jesus fasting and praying for a month straight. And we know from like various takes on that story that this was a big, it turned into a big conflict about who he was and, and who God was to him. If you really were the son of God, then like let's get some what stuff in place, some temptations about what, you know, make this stone into bread or, or, or you know, get these kingdoms in place for yourself. Um, chapter five, we see like a, just a, a general statement about Jesus. He often went to a solitary place to pray. All week, you know, I've just been thinking, like, does that line 
in any way resemble me? Or, or if you're calling yourself a disciple of Christ, like, will there be any point in your life where that's something that people also refer to when they're talking about you? He often went away by himself to a solitary place to scroll Instagram or Facebook marketplace or, or looking at, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely something you can say about me. And like, I... I'm just really challenged by that. I want to invite you into that challenge. Um, Chapter 6, we see um, Jesus praying all night long just before he called his disciples. I mean, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about like what he's praying for and what's going on in these scenarios. Because Gabe Hartfield kind of tipped me off on this this week when he pointed out that what we pray for the most and the longest is what Jesus prays for the shortest. And what he prays for the longest is what we pray for the the shortest. We're kind of almost opposites. Let me explain. When Jesus does things that we pray arduously for, healing or for miracles or for some sort of movement to happen, it's just very brief. Hey, he doesn't spend all night long repeating, Lazarus, come forth, or Talitha kum, or or, stretch out your hand. It's just more of a shorter interaction. But he's in the garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood like deep into the hours of the night saying, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, how much time does he spend thinking, I want to align with your will? And how much time do we do? I mean, it's easy for us to just say, not my will, but yours be done and I'm moving on. But what if it became a deeper reality for us to, to be looking into the will of God and saying, evaluate my life, God. What do I do? How do I live in a way that's consistent with what you want to see in this world? What, how do I live? How do I have a re, my, in my relationship with my significant other or with my friends a way that, that reflects who you are? How about my finances? Is there any way that I can even more, uh, more and more reflect your heart for this world? This, this, is, this is the stuff that Jesus is spending, I think, most of his prayer time leaning into. The will of God. Because Jesus is about a who. Not that what doesn't matter. I just want to say, to save ourselves from this place of being tempted to just settle for superficiality or to settle for just the facade of being spiritual and to actually take the invitation to a deep relationship. Let that be your priority in, the, in, in step number one in prayer. And if it's been a while since you felt deep in prayer, this is, this is on the table for you today. And, it's been, and it was on the table even in the, in the very early days when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. They became people who got it. I mean, when you see the first draft of disciples in, in Acts, you remember that story where they're standing before the religious elite, the Sanhedrin, you know, they're, they're being questioned about uh, what they were doing and, and they were, what, the, what was said about them. These men are clearly untrained men, but they had been with Jesus. Just seeing them and interacting with them, there was something that was visible or, or experiential that they're like just behind their eyes and just out of their voice. I, there's no denying the who that they are connected to, that they are obsessed with, that they are trying to be like. And the depth that they displayed, uh, the 
cavernous depth that they displayed is a depth that brings courage and bravery and brings enigma to, the, to, the, to our world, that brings uh, resurrection life into your workplace and into your families. Like this is what's, uh, what happens when we start to go deep with the who, with our Father. So I want to invite you into that. So Jesus gives them a word, Father. I'm not fully aware that uh, this can be triggering for some of us. Um, I've heard this many times over the years, that when I'm asked to pray, Father, it, it reminds me of a, of a person in my life who was very negative, you know, and I want to be sensitive to that and pray for you um, as, as you figure that out. Um, but I've also heard just as many stories where people in that situation praying this received healing and received revelation and received a, a new version of who their father is. And while I see merit, I mean, a lot of merit in relating to God in terms of him being like a father in relation to our fathers. I mean, Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount, right, when he says, you being evil, you're fat, you know how to be a father, how much more so does your heavenly father know what you need, right? Like he makes that connection. But I also think that, there, that we would be missing something if we just reduced this prayer to your father and like the way you think of a father and not in the broader biblical context. I, I wanna just sort of explore a theme here that this could mean if we just ask the question, what would it have meant? What could it have meant? For a first century disciple to be told to pray to God in the terms of a father. A lot of their prayers seem to be a little bit more distant, right? When you hear Baruch, I'm, um, the, you're the king of the universe, right? Like uh, this distant, like powerful being. Father. Well, when you think of the greater biblical story, there's a few times in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, where this theme of father and God come, come to play. I just want to explore one of them with you because it is, it is in the book of the Bible that talks about the Exodus and the Passover to, I mean, one of the most central connections to the life and ministry of Jesus is the Passover. So if you aren't familiar with this, in the second book of the Bible, there's a story about this people group Israel, sometimes called the Hebrews, that were enslaved in one of the world powers of that day, Egypt. Any king of Egypt is usually referred to as Pharaoh. Okay, so there's this story where Moses, the main character in this story of like getting these enslaved people set free, where he is interacting with God. In chapter 4 of Exodus, God says to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh these three powerful Hebrew words he starts off with here. Beni, Bikuri, Israel. Beni, Bikuri, Israel. My firstborn son, Israel. Let him go or I'll take your firstborn son. So pray to your father. I mean, this is, this is like potentially a place where... Um, where Jesus is speaking into a hope in an identity that has almost certainly been lost. As a first century Jewish person is also heavily oppressed by the Roman Empire. 
to pray to your father in the context of the father who is passionate about setting his children free from slavery is a prayer that's dangerous and full of hope and full of, of, uh, of emotion and, and, and full of wonder. Like, could it be? Could you still see me the way you saw them then? Is it still possible that you would be the father that's passionate about his children being set free from slavery? And I think that any time that we pray our father, we are praying a prayer of hope that says, even now for me, let it be true, that you would be my father, the one who is passionate about my freedom from slavery, that you would be the one who sent your son who would do anything and give anything to set me free from oppression that's in my life. Our father, are you willing to pray that? Are you willing to let that be like step one of your life of prayer, praying a prayer into, into the heart of somebody who says, I want to be this father to you, and I'll prove it to you again and again. Our father. As we start to pray that prayer of our father and identify with him on that, then of course the next things that we see Jesus talk about is the will of God. His kingdom come, like it is something that, that is, is naturally outpouring from our hearts. When we see God like that, we think, yes, amen. I want to proclaim that light into the dark world. I want to speak that out and say, your will be done here. I want to see your kingdom advance here, your kingdom of, of, of redemption, your kingdom of, flourish, of human flourishing and liberation here. Um, it becomes a prayer that we're not dutifully like, forcing ourselves to pray. It's just an overflow of our hearts of what we're receiving from God uh, personally. What you need to do is use this as a framework for talking to God and coming before him as your father. One of the biggest influences on me is a guy named Brennan, Brennan Manning. I, I quote him all the time. You probably have heard of him. Um, kind of an enigmatic guy. Uh, anyway, so Brennan Manning wrote a book called Abba's Child. And in that book, he tells this story of an older man who was dying of cancer and of a priest that came to visit him. And the priest was called in by the, the older man's daughter, actually. The guy didn't even know he was coming. Priest walks in the room and there's a chair sitting by the bed, and he's like, oh, you, you knew I was coming. You got a chair for me. And, and, and the guy is like, I don't even know who you are, actually, uh, but welcome. And as they were talking about prayer and where this guy was at, the guy confided in the priest, and he said, you know, the actual reason why that chair is there is something I've never told anybody before. When I was young, I tried to pray. I just felt like I couldn't really figure it out and it was very complicated for me and there was too many like big theological words in my you know, church and, and, and I just couldn't do it. I gave up on prayer. But then one day, a friend told me, just come before the Lord and pray and just talk to him the way you would talk to anyone. So he said, I decided to take this chair and I'd sit across from it or, or put it by my bed and imagine that Jesus was sitting in the chair and I would just share with him um, and talk to him. And the priest loved this and blessed him and did whatever he could with him and then went away. Only to find out two days later when the daughter called him and said, my father's passed away. 
He then said, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Was it a peaceful uh, death? And she said, yeah, we were having a great time. Uh, we joked and, and, and did our normal morning routine. I went to the store and I came back and found him. But the strange thing was, when I found him, he was, holding, he was hugging the chair next to his bed with his head laying on the backrest. And I don't know why he, anyone would do that. This is what happens when we start to develop a relationship with a who? Somebody that we love, somebody that shows us his love, and somebody that, uh, that, that wants to take us to a deep, rich place when it comes to prayer. It's very tempting, though, in this moment to think, okay, that's what we have to do, and, and I'm not allowed to pray about things that I actually care about. Is that what the preacher's saying today? Don't care about the what? Well, let me be clear. It's actually, I'm just trying to reprioritize the, the flow of our prayers. Jesus doesn't, doesn't say don't pray about what matters to you. Actually, he, he doesn't let us go without saying that. Right after this, doesn't he say, pray about your daily bread. Pray about your relationships that matter most to you. Pray about like your, 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 your steps that you walk in obedience. If you're struggling with that, you know, lead us not into temptation. Or pray about the things that matter to you as well. Your job, your daily bread, the interview that you're going to have later or, or what the promotion that you're desiring. Bring your heart before the Lord. Once you have this foundation of a relationship and know that he cares for you, he wants you to be healthy and free and everything that you want, he, he, he wants to listen to that. Just like I do. There are people in my life that I just love and you know what I want them to do is to bring me into stuff that they care about. When my daughter asked me to read this book about the Hulk and Spider-Man, and I can tell she really cares about it. That's exactly what I want to do in that moment. Because I love her. Jesus is giving you permission to rend your heart before the Lord and to say, this is also what matters to me. Can you speak to me about this and lead me and help me figure this stuff out? Don't let anybody ever tell you that God is so big that he doesn't care about the sparrow or care about the flowers of the field, or care about the, the, the hairs on your head. If God is infinitely big, he is also infinitely small. And he cares about what you care about. And he hears you, and he loves you. So we're gonna spend just a few moments of prayer after, uh, and the band's gonna come forward and, and Lead us in one more song. But I want to take you back to that room with me in 2006, 2007, when I was feeling like completely bankrupt. I don't know why, but I just stood to my feet and I started to pray. So this is your homework for the week. Just try and pray. If that looks like talking to an empty chair or if that looks like praying through the Lord's Prayer, using it as a framework for, or a structure for your values in, in, in prayer, uh, that's great. If it looks like just saying the names out loud of somebody that, that you're uh, concerned for, that you care about, then say them. If that looks like look, getting away 
alone and leaving your phone on the table and like going outside and just walking with the Lord, then I want to invite you into that because I never experienced more life change than when I took a step in faith and prayer. It went from a duty to something that is a great joy in my life. So with all that being said, let's just take a few moments and right where you're at, just in your heart and in your mind, just start praying through the Lord's Prayer or just pray to God um, whatever is on your heart.